You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. We're going to read through verse 52 in just a moment. Uh, I had the blessing of growing up in a uh, Christian home. My mom uh, and dad didn't grow up in what I would consider strong Christian homes. My, my dad's dad ran off with another woman when he was five years old, and my, my mom grew up in a pretty hard family. Her mother was a servant, but she had a really hard father, uh, my grandfather. And, uh, but when, and my parents did come to know the Lord when they were younger, but they really didn't start growing in the Lord until, they were, until after my older brother was born in the late 60s. Uh, and th- so when I was born, I grew up watching these two growing, strong Christians. They weren't trying to force Jesus down my throat. They were just in love with Jesus, and it just bled into every area of their life. And I, I grew up in that kind of incubator. Fast forward, my wife and I had uh, uh, moved, we, we were married, we had two kids, we uh, were serving uh, as uh, down in uh, First Baptist New Albany, serving on staff there as pastor and youth and other things. And, and, but the Lord was leading us to go to New York. Uh, Mid-America in Memphis had a branch up there that were, were really strategic in church planning in the Northeast where there were few churches at the time. And so I wanted, I felt God leading us to go up there. Uh, and so my, my mom and dad weren't so keen on that. Here they had two little kids, uh, little grandkids. Uh, I mean, I'm about to move to the ghetto of New York, a really rough area up there. Uh, matter of fact, in the square mile where we moved to, they had made 450 arrests in one day because the National Guard came in. There was so much crime and prostitution that they literally sanctioned off the whole area we moved to. Of course, that means they got most of the criminals out before we moved in. But anyway, um, that's where we moved. And so my mother, I was really having a hard time getting along with my mother because she kept and she's a kind of a spiritual voice in my life and she was saying you know I think you miss God on this right and so we were really butting heads about it well meanwhile my godly wife was praying that the Lord would give my parents a peace about this and sure enough the Lord gave my dad a verse from scripture about protecting his children and but not my mother she was still "Uh, uh-uh, you've missed God on this when you ain't gonna take my grandbabies you know way up there in the hood in that dangerous place and so one day they came down to New Albany uh, Mississippi after church one day and we, they were eating with us I believe on a Sunday and I was kind of button heads with my mother and I looked at my mom I said you know this is your fault it's your fault that I want to move to New York I said you know me I, I grew up in the city I've wanted to live in the country all my life and, and here I am wanting to go live in New York. So you know it's from God. I said, and you're the one that took me to church. And you're the one that taught me the Bible. And you're the one that told me stories about Abraham leaving a familiar place to go and be in a foreign land. So this is all your fault. And, and you know, something clicked. And she began to get it, you know. And that story reminds me of, you know, as a parent, uh, to trust the outcome of biblical parenting and to release my own children, our own children, into the world of work and ministry that God has for them, whether it's a carpenter or the savior of the world, right? Whether it's a carpenter or a missionary, I need to trust him. And there's a sweet story in the Bible of parental release 
found in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. And I want us to read this together. Luke 2, 41. We're going to read through verse 52. Now his parents, this is Jesus we're talking about, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents didn't know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, well, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and, he, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. May God bless the reading of his word. Now this passage is chocked full of well-intentioned parents and a service-seeking Jesus. There's no other gospel that gives such an awesome peek into uh, the window of childhood uh, Jesus, right? A.T. Robertson said that Luke gives us the only glimpse that we have of the boy Jesus. No one who didn't love and understand children could have so graphically pictured the boyhood of Jesus in this one short paragraph. So kudos to Luke and of course kudos to the Holy Spirit for inspiring him to write such a sweet true story. So today briefly I want to look at the characteristics of Jesus's mom and dad and the characteristics of childhood Jesus. So we'll start with mom and dad. First, Jesus's parents had spiritual minimums. His parents had spiritual minimums. Church, as mothers and fathers, we must draw spiritual lines in the sand somewhere. And I'm not here to draw those for you or to dictate to you which music is too obscene or which movies are too graphic or what ratio of Sunday and Wednesday worship gatherings are the very least you could do as a family. That's not me. I'm not going to tell you that. But what I do know is this. If you don't set spiritual uh, minimums in your family, Satan will. And they'll be much lower than you expected. If you don't draw a line in the sand, you're going to slide so far down this world's slippery slope, the world won't even recognize you or your family or your practices as distinctly Christian. I'm sorry to say that's predominant in many churchgoers, in many professing Christians today. You know, the word ekklesia is the Greek word used in the Bible for church, and it means a called out assembly or congregation. We are called out people. So there must be some visible distinction in our priorities, in our conversations, in our gatherings, and in our spiritual minimums for that to be known to others. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16 says, For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst... And be separate from them, says the Lord. Then I will welcome you. Verse 18, and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now wait just a minute, preacher. Last week you preached on welcoming the worst sinners. Yes, I did. 
<laughs> but that doesn't mean to welcome the worst sinners. I have to lower my own spiritual standards to reach them. I don't think uh, obeying God's commands makes me better than the worst sinner because I think I am the worst sinner. Right? But following Christ still requires us to draw lines. And the Bible defines those lines for us. So my question to you, moms and dads, are what are your spiritual minimums? As an individual believer, as a family, as a church, surely there's something still in this wicked world we live in that makes us blush, that makes us change the channel. Right? When we look at Joseph and Mary, we know they had some lines in the sand. First, they had obedient consistency. Luke 2.41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. This was in obedience to Deuteronomy 16.16 16 and Leviticus 23. They went every year. And I know what you're thinking. Well, gosh, Pastor, I, could, I can swing Easter and Mother's Day every year. I can do twice as much as them. So does that make me better than Mary and Joseph? <laughs> I'm twice as holy. Well, we got to back up a little bit to see just how uh, godly they were. In Luke 1.26, God sends Gabriel to Mary, who says in verse uh, 30, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. And Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So here's a humble, God-honoring woman submitting to a plan that makes her look like a, promisc a promiscuous woman for the rest of her earthly life, right? Because she's going to get pregnant out, you know, out of technical wedlock, right? When she was actually a pure, loving, faithful, engaged bride-to-be. Of course, she was a sinner, like all humans, but she was also a godly woman. Joseph, in Matthew 1.18 uh, at some point knows his wife's pregnant, not by him. And in verse 19, he has a vision from an angel, a dream. In verse 24, it says, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not sexually until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. And of course, if you read, there's Mary's worship that uh, she sings to the Lord. There's Joseph's protection of his family, uh, the earthly trials of looking like you've conceived out of wedlock, uh, or maybe you've married a woman who cheated on you. That's what it looks like. Like all Joseph's buddies that knows his wife starting to poke out a little is like, hey, is that yours? Or, you know, who, you know, what happened here? But they both obeyed the Lord. Obedience was a simple, consistent pattern in their lives, even in the face of opposition. They had obedient consistency. Second, they had cultural customs. Luke 2.42, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And Exodus uh, uh, 23.14 explains that all male children had to go up to the temple three times a year for Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and, uh, at, at, and the only point I'm making here is that Mary and Joseph had spiritual customs that weren't based on how they were feeling that morning, right? Just like you. You didn't get out of bed and come to church just because you felt good, just because it was a sunny day, right? just because it's Mother's Day. Some of you may have come just because it's Mother's Day. But like, you had to get out of bed. And so there are times in our families where we don't feel like obeying God. And you mothers who are gracious enough to be merciful, even in those times of high stress, getting kids, getting lunches packed, getting kids off to school, Kudos to you for being faithful and consistent, for bringing your kids to church on a faithful basis. Praise be to you and glory be to God for the faithfulness. That is hard. It is hard to maintain patterns in our lives spiritually. We, we can flash pan for a week or two, but praise you women who work hard 
at showing consistent, faithful customs, right? And, and just so you know, I don't think you're going to hell if you don't pray with your kids before they go to bed every night. That's not in the Bible. Like if you don't do this, if you don't do that, then you're, you're a bad mom. But our family does pray over our kids before they go to bed. Maybe we miss a night every now and then, okay? But it's, a, it's something. And I'm just encouraging you I don't think I'm better than you because I pray for my kids each night. But I'm encouraging you as parents to start some of those patterns if you don't have them. It's never too late to start, right? I hope you have good customs, some sweet spiritual traditions that honor God. Jesus' parents had spiritual minimums. Second, Jesus' parents had limitations. Luke 2.43, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. Verse 49, and he said to them, why were you looking for me? And they didn't understand the saying that he spoke to them. They didn't know where he was. And when they found him, they didn't know what he's talking about. This makes me feel a lot better about my parenting skills, right? Even Jesus's parents, right? And they're not perfect. Now, Mary and Joseph weren't necessarily in the wrong uh, for not knowing exactly where their son was. Back then, folks traveled in caravans. They walked. It wasn't interstate, you know, it wasn't 385. It wasn't interstate 40. They were walking on dirt paths with ox carts and, and camels and such. And so it's, it was normal. And by the way, if you grew up before the 90s, uh, you, you may remember that every parent parented every kid. Remember those days, you know, where your neighbor could discipline your kids and you wouldn't freak out about it. All right. And so that's it was it wasn't abnormal for them to be doing this. All right. I'm only pointing out that parents just don't know everything. Don't. And listen, you moms, don't let the enemy discourage you because of your failures. You are not perfect. Don't let him spiritually paralyze you because you've screwed up. And by the way, by show of hands, moms and dads, raise your hand if you're an imperfect parent. Now, keep them up. You students and you kids, you look around right now. Do you see what we're declaring to you? We're telling you we're not perfect. Right? We're not perfect. We, we try. We lovingly try to get it right, but we do not always get it right. But we love you and we're trying. All right. All right. No parent is perfect. But secondly, they shouldn't have been astonished. Luke 2, 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. At what? Had they forgotten uh, the vision, <laughs> the dreams of angels appearing to them and telling them, uh, you know, have they forgotten the promises of God in his word? Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he won't depart from it. Isaiah uh, 54, 13, all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. Proverbs 20, verse 7, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Follow God's commands and trust his promises and try not to be astonished when your kids, your sinful little maggots, do, <laughs> do great things for God. Don't be, don't, listen, I plead and beg for the mercy of God over my children. But I expect my children to trust in Christ one day. I expect my grandkids to walk with the Lord. I'm praying for that and I'm expecting it. I'm expecting my children to marry the right person. I'm expecting them to serve in their local churches and to be involved in the kingdom of God and building the kingdom of God. I expect that. So try not to be astonished when you're obeying God's commands in your family and then something good happens, right? Try not to overly brag, right? You can brag in your heart, but I expect good things from my kids. 
And secondly, uh, third, I mean, they shouldn't have been upset. And his mother said to him, I think it's funny that it's the mother who did the talking in this, in this passage, Luke 2, 48. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. I think the father, I think Joseph was just searching because Mary was searching. I guess I better search too. Right? You know, I, I can remember climbing trees in my front yard as a kid and my, and my dad, you know, be out front cutting the grass or something. I'm way up a tree and, and my mom comes out and she's in a panic and my dad goes, honey, just go back inside. Just go back inside. I feel like that's happening right here. One pastor said, Mary's words convey a tone of exasperation and rebuke, normal for any mother under such circumstances, but misplaced in this case. He wasn't hiding from them or defying their authority. In fact, he had done precisely what any child should do under such circumstances, being left by his parents. He went to a safe public place in the presence of trusted adults where his parents could be expected to come looking for him. And I'm certainly not trying to rebuke our mothers, our moms on Mother's Day. But even Mary wasn't perfect. Even Joseph was astonished. Even the best of parents, Jesus' parents, were not perfect, right? They couldn't, they misread this situation. Now, those are the characteristics of Jesus' mom and dad. But what about the characteristics of childhood Jesus, right? First, Jesus was inquisitive. And of course, they found him listening to them and asking questions in the temple, right? Jesus was a respectful young man who was fully God and fully man. Sometimes we see his deity, his godness on display, and sometimes we see his humanity. And here we see the all-knowing God assuming the place of a student with a desire to learn. And so Jesus demonstrated in the temple as a boy uh, that a quest of biblical knowledge is not a weakness, right? The all-knowing Jesus modeled for us in his perfect humanity a humility and hunger for knowledge. And church, let it be known that the Savior of the world literally knew everything at age 12, but he never acted like a know-it-all. All right, you, you students, remember that. And, uh, and when he replies in Luke 2.49, why were you looking for me? It wasn't a rebellious reply. It's actually, I believe, more of a genuine response. Like, did you not know where I'd be, right, given the festival, uh, given what you've taught me, given my age, given the angelic message and dreams that you've been telling me about since I, was, since I could walk and talk, right? I think Luke didn't want his readers to get the wrong impression of Jesus like he was being disobedient to his parents. And so he adds this verse in verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. I think he added that just to say, hey, this wasn't a rebellious event. All right. Jesus was inquisitive, but he was submissive, all knowing, but submissive. Secondly, Jesus was amazing. Luke 2, 47, all who heard him were amazed in his understanding and his answers. And, and on a side but applicable note, there are non-biblical books in the Bible, like the book of Enoch, quoted in Jude chapter 14 and other apocryphal books that are not scripture. Jude 14 is inspired, right? But the book of Enoch is not, right? There are other Greek philosophy books. There's, you know, Paul quotes from uh, ungodly places, but he's using it for a purpose, right? The apocryphal gospels uh, speak of questionable tales of Jesus' childhood and his supernatural miracles, like he's on the playground and wanting to impress his, kid, his friends. But here in Luke 2, 
This inspired biblical text shows nothing of the sort. And by the way, if you ever want to know, uh, if you want a list of differences between the apocryphal books and the Bible, uh, you can text me. My number's in the the worship guide there. Text me, and I'll send you links where you can do more study and comparison, side-by-side comparison. He was amazing. But remember Matthew 13, 55, it says, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Verse 57, and they took offense at him because there's nothing special about it, right? Not, if he'd been doing miracles at 12, they would have known it. Kent Hughes says, the greatest, the great historic doctrine of the church is that the son of God became a real man, not just someone who only appeared to be a man. When he was born, God the Son placed the exercise of his all-powerfulness and all-presence and all-knowingness under the direction of God the Father. He did not give up those attributes, but he submitted their exercise in his life to the Father's discretion. Though he was sinless, he had a real human body, mind, and emotions complete with their inerrant weaknesses. Listen to Isaiah 53 verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Wasn't tall, he wasn't particular, more handsome than others. And no beauty that we should desire him. Right, it's obvious Jesus was amazing. He had some knowledge, I believe, of his eternal purpose on earth. But he was mostly a normal kid in appearance and action except he was sinless. So maybe there's nothing normal about a sinless kid, I guess. It it just wasn't his time to reveal himself uh, to the world. He was inquisitive. He was amazing. And lastly, Jesus increased mentally, physically, spiritually, and socially. Luke 2.52, Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. So how can Jesus know all but increase, especially mentally and spiritually. Well, again, this was Jesus's humanity on display. He never ceased being God, but he veiled his divinity at times as the Father saw fit, right? So Jesus placed himself under the mental, physical, spiritual, and social limitations of human growth. Jesus, listen, he subjected himself to the position of need. Even in his infancy, God knew the helplessness of a child, that that child, if left alone, would die. Our daughter's been in India caring for uh, shelters. And, and one of those shelters, two of the girls uh, in there, one was abandoned, thrown in a trash can at a hospital, and the other was let, thrown in a field. And res- you know, people uh, found out about it and rescued those children. There's a, there's a weakness in infancy. And, and at times, Christ showed his omniscience, his all-knowingness, and other times he, he put his coat on of humanity to cover it. John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word, verse 14, became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the Son, uh, as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Philippians 2, verse 6, says of Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You don't have to grasp at something you already have. He already had deity. He didn't didn't need it. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And let me just close with this. 
You mothers, I hope you realize that your creator, the creator of the universe, the billions and trillions of stars in the galaxy, it's just, I always laugh at these reports that I read in the news of, 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 of scientists bragging on their new telescope that, the, that can see a further galaxy instead of bragging on the God who made the galaxy that they can see. And that God, that God subjected himself to a woman's womb and a mother's care. Listen, you moms, listen. God created the role of motherhood. Whether you're a good mother or not, he created that role, and it's a respected role. And he created your gender. He made you a woman. And it is a blessed and honorable thing to have a role created by the, the, the wondrous God and Savior of the world. He created that role. And he entrusted his one and only son to that place. Knowing the weakness. He cared, uh, he knew about the mother's role so much because he created it. And he entrusted his son to that, that role. He didn't, think about that. For nine months, Mary carried Jesus. And she cared for him and she fed him. He was fully, he, there was no other place that he was fully submitted in, in birth except on the cross. The weakest other spot was in his birth. And the, the next weakest spot was on the cross when all the sins of the world were laid on him. So you are blessed by God. I hope you understand the joy and the honor it is to be a mom. And I know some of you struggle to have kids. My own wife, we've had three mis miscarriages over our almost 29 years of marriage. And it's hard. And, and I'm named after uh, an uncle who could not have kids and adopted my dad. That's where my namesake comes from. And so I, I thank you moms who can't have kids for being mothers, spiritual mothers to so many. And mothers that do have kids and are spiritual mothers as well. We honor you. And I pray that you would be blessed today and understand the joy of your role. I pray you would take joy in it, even if nobody else does. Even if nobody's thankful for the food you cook or the things you do behind the scenes, and they don't notice it. When you put toilet tissue back on the roll, Hey, God knows, God knows in your heart the respect and honor you bring to the table as a mother. If nobody else does, and I promise you before heaven, if you've repented and called on the name of the Lord when you're in heaven, you'll be honored. Your name will be spoken before the king of all kings. Would you stand? Mm. Father God, we love you and we praise you for our mothers. We, create, we, we praise you for creating that role, that holy, magnificent role and entrusting your own son, Jesus, to it. Surely you knew something <laughs> that we did not. You created and you know the mother's care. And I pray for these moms in here today that may be feeling like <laughs> incomplete. I know there's mothers in here that have lost children to sudden and tragic death miscarriages I pray you would comfort them today and I pray for the mothers in here who have living but rebellious children they could be young or they could be old they're not walking with God right now we pray that they would come home to Jesus we pray for their salvation and their repentance but I pray for our, our moms today those that feel unworthy God 
and they would understand afresh and anew the joys of motherhood. I pray for the mothers and fathers in our families and those caring for our children, Lord, that they would take seriously the roles they have in bringing them up in the Lord, and they would not shrink back when something good happens. They'd praise you for it and expect it. Lord, we love you. We pray that if there's anybody here today that hasn't called on the name of the Lord to be saved, that they would turn from their sin and cry out to you. It's not some magic formula. It's just faith. It's turning from our sin and trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and that alone to save us. Not our good works, but your good work on the cross, willingly dying for us. I pray for others that may want to make this church their, their church home and sign up to serve in some way, and not forced, but voluntarily, Lord, that people would come and make this church their home. If that's your will, let it be today. In Jesus' name, amen. sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.